to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. So, Liz. Yes. Before we get to our special guest today, um, our good news Happy Hour listeners have to hear us talk about quickly is another upside to not being a federal worker, an employee of the U.S. government, is that apparently we will not be forced to take the quote-unquote vaccine. That is what Joe Biden is announcing Thursday night as part of his mitigation strategy or vaccination sell job. You know, it's not even that he's going to announce it tonight because he doesn't do anything at night. He's doing it in the afternoon on the <laughs> East Coast. Good point. Good point. And if you're on the West Coast, it's like two o'clock. He's giving a presidential arrest at 2 p.m. Pacific time. That's, you know, that's basically the time for them, which since I don't stay up late, it's great for me because, you know, I have to watch this shit. Um, You know, it's why they pay me a lot of money. But um, now that Biden doesn't do anything after 5 p.m. Eastern, that's great for me. But I mean, it it is is unusual that how many primetime addresses have we had under Biden? Not many, if if any at all. So, so I can't even remember any. Well, they're not memorable. He can't remember them either. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'll be here every night this week. Um, so, Julie, let's announce our guest. Tell our listeners who we have with us today. So our special guest is our friend Jordan Chactel, and we have him on because he's basically an expert on everything and because there's so many things happening in our crazy world right now between Afghanistan and COVID and the vaccines, et cetera, we thought he would be the man to bring clarity to all of this craziness. So Jordan, thank you for joining us. I think you were on last year too. It's been way too long. Yeah, thanks for having me. Always good to be on. So what do you want to dive into first, Liz? You want to get to the intercepts, the Fauci stuff, or yes. you, you go? Let's okay. talk about the intercept, which apparently is able to do the job that the congressional oversight uh, committees are not able to do, or maybe they don't want to do it. But the intercept had a big story a couple days ago during Rosh Hashanah, so I was not paying attention to it because I'm holy, I'm a holy, holy woman um, and devout and um, showing that there has been extensive funding between the United States through a cutout called the Echo Health Alliance, which is a third party, but one that gets government grants to study the dangers of bat viruses in two Wuhan labs. One we knew about which was the Wuhan Institute of Virology, also referred to on this show as the Wuhan Bat Factory. And there was another lab where these things were going on. And which means that Anthony Fauci, who apparently is the most influential person in the government, including of the president in the world, world. (laughs) Um, (laughs) you know, knew, knew, knew about these experiments which are called, they were doing what is called gain of function research, which was really, you know, as someone who isn't a scientist, I don't think you have a scientific background in the hard science, either Julie, and I don't think you do either Jordan that I know of. But, you know, if someone told you, hey, we're going to take a a deadly pathogen, and we're going to see 
if we can make it deadlier, you would say that's a bad idea, right? Am I right or no? Yeah, and, and, and it's not even as if like this was some type of like defense research for bioweapons. They were just manipulating viruses and doing so very recklessly. And it seemingly happened. Um, it, it's unclear if the if the how much the executive branch knew at the time, because it was happening under Obama, it was happening under Trump. And there were like these weird regulations that seemed to be ignored. And um Fauci was asked this explicitly by Rand Paul only, I think, a couple months ago, maybe even in a sh uh, more recently. And Fauci lied and said, you know, he had nothing to do with the gain of function funding. But it was very clear that his um, his bureaucracy knew exactly what they were doing is that they were giving money to a cutout that was directly funding the Wuhan lab in China. So I, I would assume that Fauci would have been aware of this. I mean, his top deputy was signing off on millions of dollars in funding. And, uh, you know, Fauci is like the gatekeeper for government science. So it seems like he certainly knew what was going on. Um, I, I think a lot of folks on the right are kind of like excited about the prospect of prosecution of Anthony Fauci. No. And I just think yeah. that's never going to happen. It's just yeah. not realistic. But at least it goes to show that these people will, you know, in lie lie with impunity and because they know they'll get away with it. So it's just one of these uh, another incident like this, unfortunately. Well, it makes him also, um, as you pointed out, Rand Paul, I believe, has asked him this every time Fauci's come before his committee. Um, I think it's at least two times that I remember, maybe more, where he has asked asked Fauci straight up, you know, are how, is the taxpayer funding gain of function research with coronaviruses and he denies it and then he pretends like that what they they did which is kind of spelled out a little bit in this intercept story which was making existing viruses more dangerous art, art, you know artificially tinkering with them making them more dangerous and Fauci keeps denying that that's gain of function research. I think at one point he actually said to Senator Paul, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, Rand Paul's a doctor. He's an MD. He's not like a, he's not one of these dumbass lawyers like the rest of them. You know, he's actually a doctor who practiced medicine. So Fauci, I think you're right, Jordan. And, you know, here on Happy Hour, we are not Anthony Fauci fans. We may even be on a watch list for at least our rhetoric about <laughs> Anthony sure. Fauci, if not no other doubt. things. Um, you know, this guy is just a fucking liar. And he's 80 years old. You have to <clears throat> wonder, when you're 80 years old and you're a government employee, the, the benefits of retirement for a federal employee, if you put in your 20 years, they're nice. You you get, you you do very well. Why the hell are you still working. And I understand that, yes, he's, I think, I believe he's the highest paid bureaucrat in the country. But even so, he could be making like a thousand times that money in private industry. So you've got to wonder, why is this guy sticking around? And the only real answer there is that this guy is, is a power hungry megalomaniac. That's, that's my assessment. What, agree, disagree? Well, I yeah, agree, I mean, Jordan. 
<laughs> of course, I, I agree 100 percent. I think he's uh, he's certainly transformed. Um, some people deal with power well and other people like Fauci. It brings out their, you know, the worst parts of their character. Um, this is a man who just has repeatedly lied about everything related to this, um, the pandemic. And he's even admitted it in interviews later on that he had to lie to try to like manipulate people to do certain things. He's just an awful, sick human being. And I think a lot of like, I think early on, the three of us realized that um, as soon as he was endorsing, you know, the lockdowns and all that crap. But some people still thought, you know, like this was just a good hearted guy that was looking out for us. But it, it it's very clear right now that that Fauci, um, he's just he he's awful. He's an awful, manipulative liar. Um, and it's just it, it's just amazing to see that he still has defenders. I mean, his record it, on every single issue related to the covid stuff, he's he's on both sides of every single issue, um, the vaccines, the masks, the lockdowns. They either work um, for one community, don't work for another community. Um, he's very politically astute, so he protects, you know, the regime's politics and says that and uses COVID to kind of um, advance their narratives. So when there's a BLM protest, that's always safe. But if there's college students that want to attend a football game, that's way out of bounds and reckless and irresponsible. So, you know, it just goes on and on. Do you remember this was actually I'm sure you do remember because it was a couple weeks ago, no more than a month ago when there was the big Lollapalooza festival in Chicago. And I just want to add, I was at the first Lollapalooza because I am that old um, in 91. But that's for another day. Um, there was the Chicago Lollapalooza festival and then there was Sturgis and only Sturgis was a super spreader event. Lollapalooza, which I might add, was attended by Lori Lightfoot, the mayor of Chicago. Um, that was fine. We didn't hear any, we didn't get think pieces about it. We didn't have any, you know, stern warnings from public health officials about how dangerous Lollapalooza was, but we certainly got some stories about Sturgis. So Fauci is definitely part of that. And I think You've pointed this out, Jordan, about how Fauci is like runs the kingdom of government funding for science. And since almost all science is subsidized by the federal government, I mean, you want to talk about a welfare system, go look at the university scientists and how much money they make. And the university itself also gets a cut of all the grants that the university, like biology, medical schools, all of these different departments apply for. So um, it's quite a racket and and Fauci is the king. And so a lot of people are afraid to speak out against him or they'll never get funding again. Yeah. And, and it, the, the government funding of science is so bad for innovation. I mean, if you look at like these characters in, in the top of the Ivy League universities, these chairs of public health and these government scientists, if you look at their accomplishments, it's always just this like very nuanced discussion over their research and writing and peer-reviewed articles, but they've never really accomplished anything. And there hasn't really been any scientific advancements in their professions for, for decades. And that's because, you know, the, the government has corrupted the, you know, the innovation side of things. And, and it's a sad state of affairs. And this has been happening under Fauci, who's been, you know, running the show 
um, at his agency for almost 40 years, has been a bureaucrat for over 50 years now. And it, one of the reasons why, you know, innovation in, you know, the, the virology and epidemiology fields is so bad is because it's just all a government project to, uh, you know, they're, they're not um, prioritizing anything that's important. And it's just whatever Fauci wants to do gets done. Fauci and Bill Gates, essentially. It's a welfare. It's it, it's a welfare system for sure. I work with a group, and um, I know the person who started it. I used to work with him at a firm here um, called White Coat Waste, and they have been pounding the government on their animal testing because they, the government, Fauci's, you know, Fauci's mafia has been paying out billions of dollars a year at least 12 billion dollars are going to animal tests and they're they the same tests have been going on for like 40 years and they're they're just retarded like they've been giving lsd to rabbits for like 30 years so like at what point and i'm not making that up at what point are you have you discovered what you started looking for you know what i mean like what is it um you know what are you hoping to learn? They give wine to fetal pigs and then they kill them and they do it again and again and again. And again, we're talking about this massive redistribution of wealth and welfare system for academic scientists. So you've got, on the one hand, the, the government doing that and keeping them in check with their sort of chasing their tail scientific experiments. And on the other, you have big pharma. And so those are really the main outlets for any sort of scientific innovation you know, dummies giving wine to fetal pigs or something that is going to make big pharmaceutical companies a lot of money, like a vaccine. So, um, Julie, do you want to chime in? I'm just a chatty Kathy. I'm over-caffeinated. I'm sorry. (laughs) No. um, Well, I do want to talk about why with so many people vaccinated, and Jordan, I'm sure you've been tracking this data, so many people vaccinated, other people with natural immunity. Why are cases really skyrocketing? And I could see, you know, there was just more information coming out on that today. But I can just say anecdotally, too, my daughter's college, where they have 96% vaccination adherence. I mean, these kids are dropping like flies getting COVID. And these are otherwise healthy adults. It was nowhere near this last fall. So what what is happening with this? I mean, this is a serious question. Why with these, you know, vaccination rates, what is it in the US now? Fifty percent, fifty-one percent are fully vaccinated. I mean, what what is with the cases rising? So the government, uh, and I just did a piece on this a little a few days ago. The government through our top officials, Joe Biden, Fauci, Walensky, the CDC director. As recently as like the beginning of the summer, they were saying the vaccines are working great. The vaccines will inoculate you. The vaccines, you know, will prevent you from getting severe disease, hospitalization, death. They were using numbers like, uh, you know, Fauci was quoted as saying virtually 100% in terms of efficacy and 95% in terms of preventing infection. So the the you know the data is showing that that's not the case at all. And now they've kind of pivoted to Delta variant. And that's that's the new excuse for the reason why they were wrong about everything. 
But what's interesting is if you actually go back to read their statements about, you know, the 100 percent and 95 percent numbers, they actually did account for variance. They actually said it was it was holding up well against variance. And, you know, this is this is the cure. And sadly, all of that has not come to fruition. What was interesting is that those of us like, um, you know, Alex Berenson, who has been uh, totally uh, deplatformed he's, he's from existence. Unpersoned. Yeah. yeah, he's a non-person now. Some people during those Pfizer and Moderna trials, even before they started mass vaccinating, had noticed that the people um, in the control group of those trials had also not gotten COVID and no one really got sick and no one died. So it was like a very weird trial. And I think it was because it happened during a non-respiratory season. But um, there was like, you know, a few people in the control group that got sick from COVID and the vaccination group had like one or two people. So they were they were claiming this like amazing risk reduction based on a tiny sample size. Like there was like tens of thousands of people that lined up for the trials and like literally a handful of those got really sick from COVID. So they I thought it was you know manipulated from the start and people didn't really want to talk about that. And they were just rushing forward with the vaccination, uh, you know, 100 percent effective. And of course, um, you know, with this innovative technology on top of that. So we're really it's really showing itself now um, that the numbers the the, that the you know, the so-called vaccines are I, I can leave it at that. They're just not living up to the hype that the government promised us that they would live up to. You know, one thing that has always struck me is not just the kinds of numbers that they are releasing, but the obvious numbers that they should be releasing, but they're not. And I've always been curious, what's the rate um, of reinfection of COVID? Because there's been such a push to force people to get vaccinated to, I don't know, protect them and protect other people. But there's been no studies or no public data really emphasized or that I've seen released about what is the what is the reinfection rate among people who had COVID? And if they do get reinfected, are they spreading it? Because that would seem important too. I mean, why would you make these people get vaccinated? Um, in, I mean, I, I know there's some data that has come out of Israel that says yeah. that it is much more robust for people who have been infection, infected, that they have a much better sense of immunity, which makes perfect sense to be honest with you. I mean, again, you don't have to be, we're not science, we're not, we're not PhDs in science here, um, to know that you would have a different, your body would have a, a different response to the actual virus than a piece of the virus or the mRNA message. message. It's, well, I don't understand all that shit, but whatever, that magic. Um, but my point is, it it really does seem important to know how many people get reinfected who've had COVID and if they spread and what kind of immunity they have relative to a vaccine. And I haven't seen any of that. Is that out there, Jordan? Am I missing it? Or does no one care about that? Yeah, it seems that they just kind of want to. So Israel was the first country to kind of not mandate the vaccination, but bully people into the the vaccination. <laughs> and uh, I think like 80% of the population ended up um getting vaccinated or, or taking the injections, at least two, and now they're on shot three. But there was an Israeli study that was just recently, um, that just recently came out that said, 
natural immunity is 27 times more effective than uh, the vaccine community in preventing symptomatic infections. So it's still, you know, if you have a lab confirmed test with like a, a decent, like a, a legitimate test that's accurate, that once you've had COVID, uh, your chances of getting it again are like nominal. And the government, as I think we've all talked about a lot, has totally ignored that element um, because, you know, there's no incentive because if people have natural immunity, there's no incentive to take the COVID vaccine, really. I mean, they can pretend that it's like adding some type of protection, but that's not clear at all. And the push to not recognize you know, all of like the lobbying interests and the the so-called public health interests, they're not at all interested in recognizing natural immunity because, you know, natural immunity doesn't uh, control people and it doesn't raise money. Yeah, I was going to ask you, um, why would the government I understand why Pfizer or Moderna or Johnson and Johnson or these other companies that have created vaccines or whatever? I don't think they're traditional vaccines. It doesn't seem like they work like traditional vaccines. Um, I understand why they have an interest in getting as many people vaccinated as possible because it's a money making for them. But why would the federal government, because a, a lot of people before COVID had a fair amount of trust in the public health um, industry and our government officials and go, oh, no, no, they're scientists. They're not partisan. They're just for science. So why would the government, you know, I mean, you'd expect a, a some a body that's supposed to be neutral, right, and that is supposed to be looking out for the public good would not allow a, co a corporation like that to, you know, clo cloak their business practices and marketing, you know, the way that they did when, you, again, you have a fair amount of people who have even better immunity. Why would you get the vaccine? Do you do you think it is strictly just about control? Yeah, I don't think it's been about our health for 18 months <laughs> and counting. Um, I think this is really just has become a way to um, insert population controls by the governing regime. I don't think that any of this is legitimate in any scientific sense. You know, if you research the data and the science behind this madness, none of it makes sense anymore. Um, the natural immunity is so clearly beneficial and it would help with like even logistics. And, and if you believe in the vaccine, you don't want people with natural immunity to take a shot from someone that might not have natural immunity. Uh, I, I think it's totally just a measure by not recognizing natural immunity. I think it's a, it's 100 percent about control. Um, a lot of it has to do with there's really no captain of the ship in the Biden administration and. You know, I guess the people in charge of the messaging have determined that they don't like, you know, the honor system approach because that takes away government's role in, you know, managing this stupidity. Because if you leave it up to individuals like, you know, Ron DeSantis has done or um, some other governors, then, you know, they can't continue to tell you what to do. So that's they're just they don't want to give people an out. They want to make them entirely reliant on the government moving forward. Do you have any insight into what happened? Do you have any insight into what happened at the FDA with those top officials who resigned, <clears throat> people who were overseeing the vac uh, vaccine program? 
So they didn't really release a public statement, but um, the two people that would have basically signed off on saying that boosters are safe and effective, they 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 quit instead of doing so, which is surprising because you know the FDA doesn't necessarily have a great track record. But I think that they recognize that there was a lot of political influence coming from the White House, and they didn't want to be the bag holders for. They didn't want to have their names on a document that said that boosters are safe and effective. And then all of a sudden, you know, everyone's getting COVID again after their third dose. So I think for them, the safer route was to kind of like pass the buck onto a more junior official. Um, I, I would have I wish that they would have said something when they resigned. But it was really just, you know, they they made a quick comments about the political influence of the executive branch and, you know, the political appointees, and they didn't like that because they were, you know, career bureaucrats. And um, I, I think that they were just concerned that they would be, you know, labeled monsters in, in the history books because they had signed off on on something that had not been tested or really proven to have any significance in combating a virus. So, yeah, I think it was it was a smart savvy move for them to retire but it should have been more shocking and, and the media mm-hmm. just kind of ignored but it ignored yeah there was there were hardly any sort uh sort of i think politico broke the story and then normally in a typical um information operation which is what you've all been exposed to for the last 18 months um you would have you know that story kind of politico and then you would have some um you know, uh, satellite stories, Washington Post, Atlantic, um, New York Times, you know, they would pick up on it and it would go on for like at least a week. You know, can you imagine if they resigned under Trump? I mean, that's just to give you a sense of what is should happen or normally happens. And the fact it just disappeared. Oh, um, Trump would have been impeached again for this. Well, he would have been impeached again. And also there would be reporters camped outside of these officials' houses. We would know the name of their children. We would know where their children goes go to school, right? They would be followed. You know, you would have some <clears throat> asshole reporter from BuzzFeed like screaming at them as they walk to their car to go to the grocery store, right? That's the kind of treatment that would have happened under Trump, but this just kind of disappeared from the news. Um there, but there Jordan, were some, turning uh, there were some Go like ra- there were some like rabid stenographers of the Biden administration that that did publicly get mad at these people for resigning. But it wasn't I think that they decided that it's best to ignore the story. But the real loyalists did appear on social media to kind of like shame them for not approving the boosters uh, without a player. Yeah, <laughs> like a Jen Rubin type, I think, went out there. Jordan, what is going to happen this fall? I mean, what do you anticipate? We've seen sort of the usual spike in the southern states now, and that seems to be subsiding. But, I mean, flu season is going to kick off here soon in the Midwest and the Northeast. Uh, what's going to happen uh, then? I mean, I guess it's easy to shame Ron DeSantis for a spike and blame him. But when this starts hitting highly vaccinated blue states, I mean, do you see that that kind of surge, that spike happening? What do you anticipate we'll see over the next few months? Yeah, it seems certain that there will be some type of respiratory season in the Northeast because uh, every other year on record, there's a respiratory season. So, um, you know, people are going to start testing top positive for stuff and getting sick because you know the cold weather is coming in. So 
how will the government react to that? I think with more restrictions and mandates, um, I think a lot of people will end up pinging positive on these COVID tests. And um, for example, you know, a more micro story, but um, I'm staying in DC this week and I'm staying at the same place that I was at a few months ago. And a few months ago, they had a, you know, masks, uh, not necessary if you're vaccinated sign. And now they changed the sign to uh, mandate masking. So it's just like a, a an example of kind of what's going on in the D.C. area. And I think as the cases continue to bump up, I think the freak out will be a lot worse because everyone's so hyper focused on the numbers and, you know, every covid death can be a, a front page news story. I think they'll find a way to scapegoat people, you know, they, they'll maybe point to the Sturgis rally again or something ridiculous. Yeah. But I do think that the blue states will commit um, self-sabotage again, and it's going to suck. I, I have no confidence that these people are, are ready to to be real with their constituents who have taken now to believing that the government can stop a virus. So we're in a very dangerous place, um, and I'm not optimistic for blue states at all for, for the for the cold weather months. Yeah, me either. Like we're in for a quite a. <laughs> A propaganda ride. But you do make a good point is that, you know, we've got the flu season. Now, I think I saw a headline somewhere today saying that it's going to be worse than uh, or they're predicting a bad flu season. And if I remember, we didn't really have a flu season last year. Plus, we had these bizarre like PCR testing levels where almost everybody was testing positive. So it was um inflating the numbers of COVID people that tested positive. So they had headlines to say, look at these big numbers of people testing positive. But I believe that they've lowered that or the the World Health Organization, that clown, that clown car, they've recommended to lower to lower it. So I don't know how that's going to um, affect the case count. I mean, they may I guess they can't pretend it's not happening because they need that to continue their control. But how is um state how are states like Florida and Texas faring against states that have really strict mask mandates? Um, are they doing better or worse? Because if you would look on Twitter, it would look like Florida are just like the killing fields. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Florida's um, respiratory season historically has been different than um, the Northeast and Midwest and states with four seasons. Same with Texas. Um, so this, the, if you look at the pattern, basically the same stuff happened last year. And, you know, they were calling him Death Santis and all this crap. And <laughs> Abbott was getting scared again and, you know, restoring mandates and whatnot. And I, I think that, you know, it, it's really just a reality of this is the first time in in a while because like the the WHO and especially has tried to like hype pandemics since it was birthed you know decades ago that like this is just they, they feel the need to to make people panic and kind of tell them that they need to give away all their rights to the UN to to fix all their problems so they like to capitalize on this stuff for but for whatever reason people are just entrapped by this COVID mania and they're so um, hyper focused on every every case. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that when you look at the data, um, Ian Miller, from, he's he's got a really 
a Twitter account does like these really good charts. And what you see is like that, like regardless of the mandates, it's just like totally inconsequential. Uh, if you have the strictest mandate for masks or lockdowns or none of it at all, the numbers bear out a, a very similar pattern. It, actually, the only place where there's been an, a, a real irregularity was early on um, in New York City, where, um, and my hypothesis is that basically the panic and the, you know, the, the bedwetting by the, you know, nurses and doctors, um, I think that's the reason for that COVID spike. But everywhere else in America, it's, you know, there's just been no avoiding a virus. Yeah, the media has done a really good job of freaking people out. I know uh, it freaks me out. Um, you know, sometimes I feel fine. And then if I read too much news at once, I start getting really terrified. So I can only no, but it's true. And I think right. a lot of people are are like that, too, especially people who don't know that these public health officials and agencies are actually politically active and they're not neutral third parties. In fact, I think a lot of people have found out that their doctors are not neutral either. Um, I've heard some stories of people, their doctors uh, contemplating denying them care because they're not vaccinated. Have you seen those stories out there about triaging medical care for people who aren't vaccinated? Like maybe you don't get treatment because you're not vaccinated? Yeah, it's so crazy how politicized this has become. I think a lot of that stuff, um, luckily so far, has been through the the academic MDs who don't even see patients anyway. But there are people emerging on the radar, and I guess it's just a good reason. Yeah. It's a good way to kind of like vet doctors that you should never see ever, because the reality of hospitals is that they make their money off of people with unhealthy habits or people that get habitually sick. So the idea that like you know, the only reason people are going to a hospital is like they, you know, get some injury or it was all just a freak situation is, is nonsense. Hospitals are always filled up with people that have awful habits. So the idea that they're, you know, biasing COVID into this makes no sense at all. Didn't well, Fauci just say that too? Didn't Fauci just say that he, that their hospitals were going to have to start um, deciding who to give care to and who not to because of yeah, in the, Idaho. Is that where it was? It was up north in Idaho that that there was some story, cue up the violin or whatever, about people didn't have anywhere to die. It was so crowded in the hospitals. Um, and it was it was a kind of an over the top thing in that they were going to have to, you know, make some, Fauci had said that you're going to have to make some tough decisions. Meanwhile, these doctors and hospitals and pharmaceutical industry makes a ton of money who, from people who followed their horrible nutrition guidelines in the food pyramid, which is like literally the most unhealthy thing ever, like of food to eat. <laughs> and then people come in and they're like, I have high cholesterol and diabetes and I'm fat. And it's like, okay, that's your business. I mean, are they going to stop treating diabetics or AIDS? How about people who have AIDS? I mean, diabetics, alcoholics, drug addicts, we're not, we're not, is a dentist going to be like, oh, I'm sorry, you have a cavity, but maybe you shouldn't have had all those snicker bars. So sorry. It's just, it's terrible. And yet I think it's out there to scare people. Can you imagine the fear of having to go to the hospital for something and you're terrified that the nurses are going to make a TikTok video about you? 
Well, yeah, I, it is. So it's crazy because like I would have totally dismissed the idea that like a hospital wouldn't see an unvaccinated person. Um, but really, like everything is on the table now. Like, who knows? I don't think that Biden's going to go too crazy at five o'clock. But in let's say we fast forward to November, December, and, you know, these cases are through the roof again and everyone's shitting their pants and everything's like, you know, peak insanity. Who knows what they'll do? So maybe some hospitals will, you know, go full regime advocate, full like blue and on social justice warrior and just say to make a, a splash in a in a very blue neighborhood or like Boston or New York or D.C. that, oh, we're not going to take unvaccinated patients anymore because, you know, this is about public health. I, I could very much see that happening. What do you think Biden's going to do? I mean, to to be to be honest, which he won't be, but to be honest, he really doesn't have a lot of authority to do anything. So I'm not sure what his new what their new strategy is to fight the virus, which I thought he would bring to the table January 20th when he was I guess he was holding out on his on a new strategy. But Julie and Jordan, what do you think are the options that we might get? And how fast will someone sue them <laughs> when they when they try to try to put some mandates or d- demands out there? Because that's what I'm expecting. Yeah. So so Canada just recently um, mandated a you know vaccine passport for for air travel. So a lot of people I've seen on social media are thinking that Biden's going to pull the trigger on that. I don't think he's going to do that um, in this speech, but I think it's on the table. I don't know how the, the what the legal situation would be. I have no idea, um, but that would that would suck very much, and I, I think that would bring a lot of. Hopefully, it would wake up a lot of folks on the right and bring some real resistance to the table. But um, I, I think Biden will just uh, he'll just read whatever's put in front of him, right? So it's whoever's that's true. Whoever's in charge is is whoever's really in charge is is the one determining what's going to happen next. And it's not Joe Biden. I think if if they were to set up uh, little literal internment camps and put it on the teleprompter, like, you know, in Australia type situation, <laughs> he would just read it off the prompter and say, like, this is the policy. Good luck. He wouldn't even flinch. <laughs> no, Julie, what do you think? What do you think is coming? I mean, I agree with Jordan. Every time I think that, you know, they're not going to cross the Rubicon, they always do. And so I think that, you know, these doctors, a lot of them uh, are as demonic as our public health experts. Um, They have this messianic complex that they should decide that we're all just stupid. And if we don't follow along with whatever that they said, that now they feel like they can punish us. Um, I mean, I got rid of my own doctor after she lectured me a few months ago about taking the vaccine. And, you know, I have a new doctor now because they and there's just no arguing with them. You know, she said to me, well, that's your opinion. I said, well, no, it's not an opinion. Here's actually it's not a vaccine. And so I'm sure she's lining up to get her booster shot now after telling all of her uh, patients what to do. And so I do think that that's coming. I mean, it would be a case where, say, in Florida, where Ron DeSantis would have to you know, sign something. I don't know if he did. That would say these hospitals cannot decide. Uh, people who are denied care based on their vaccination status, they could sue the hospital. Um, if if they died, I'm sure their family could sue the hospital. Um, but, you know, it's just, uh, this is 
just terrifying uh, territory where we are right now. And it just continues to get worse instead of better. And unfortunately, with the exception of Ron DeSantis and a few more, like, like say, Rand Paul, I mean, there are no, there's no Republican leadership. There hasn't been from the start, as Jordan knows, too. Um, these Republican lawmakers and leaders have gone along with this, including Donald Trump. I mean, let's not forget the reason why we're still saddled with Anthony Fauci is because Trump refused to fire him, uh, even when it was clear he had no clue what he was doing. So, you know, we have no one really defending us. Um, and so that's, uh, that's why people just have to take matters into their own hands, I guess, and start suing to the extent that that's going to do anything. I don't know. I would be surprised if if they would try and make some mandate about air travel only because those planes have the greatest air filtration. Um, of right. they have very advanced air filtration. I would think airplanes would be one of the safer, um, if they're worried about people being in enclosed spaces. Now, I don't want to say anything because I'm afraid I'm going to get COVID on an airplane. But I traveled quite a bit last year, and I did not get COVID across the country. So I was in a, a plane for a long time. Now I'm afraid I'm going to get it because I've just jinxed myself. And, um, but I'm, been, I'm vaccinated, so I won't get it because I'm immune forever. Um, all right, so let's turn to booster shots. And then I just want to ask Jordan his thoughts on some booster thoughts, shots. Since Israel's on their third round of booster shots, and then they're going to, I guess now we're starting to queue up fourth. What is... What exactly, how long do these things last? Or do they just not, they not do anything at all? Like, is it just sugar water? No, I know they don't, it's not sugar water because I got my antibodies tested. So I have some antibodies. I don't know what it means that I, what the level means because nope, they don't know, which is just another pet peeve of mine because it seems like super important to that you would want to know what the levels of antibodies are necessary to provide you some protection since that's the pretend thing we're doing here. But uh, what what's going on with the booster shot track in Israel? And then because that'll probably be here shortly. So interestingly, like so so it, it's important for people to recognize that every country, every every environment has its own respiratory season. So it's difficult to tell if, you know, when there's vaccines deployed that are, are the vaccines working or is this just like the natural cycle of people getting sick and then, you know, not getting sick. Um, so in Israel, doses one and two were delivered at the beginning of the year. Um, everything was okay. Then a couple months ago, there was like a huge spike and the, the numbers came down to such a point where there seemed to be completely, you know, waning protection from shots one and two. So then, you know, they're now on to shot three. But shot three, the booster shot, a lot of people think it's, um, and I was actually wrong about this at first, but a lot of people think it's like a kind of like a reformulation. But shot three is the same shot as shots one and two. So the idea behind it is that it's going to like, you know, restore or reprime some type of immunity that was gained. But it's very unclear, like if this is going to be shot three of eight, or you know, right. this is going. So they're they're saying, and it, it's very interesting how like the language that like Scott Gottlieb is using, the uh, man who's on the board of directors of Pfizer, former FDA commissioner under Trump, sadly, 
and um, Fauci, they're they're using very cautious language. They say probably and likely instead of the surefire pronouncements of a few months ago that you had complete immunity. So it, it's it's a very um, the, the the booster argument is a there's a lot of hypotheticals. It, it's very difficult to say whether it's going to be effective long term or if this is just a thing that like you know every six months you're going to need to take a booster because immunity is not working. But the booster shot is basically that it's the exact same shot as the first two shots. So. If the first two shots aren't working, um, it, it's hard to say that the third shot's definitely going to work. But there, you know, there is actual precedent. Like um, when kids get the polio vaccine, I think it's actually given in like three or four separate doses. Yeah, so that's what they're kind of right. referring to. But um, kids don't get polio at all anymore. So it's it, it's kind of like an apples to uh oranges conversation so it, it it's very confusing um I, I don't trust the government at all at this point um i guess people can just talk to their doctor and see what their doctor thinks about this okay well let's move along to another topic that it's just not in the news anymore um because it's embarrassing um for the biden administration which is the afghanistan uh if you use the news to get your information about what are important events going on, then you would think nothing's going on and the whole Afghanistan thing's over, wrapped up, couple hundred max people stuck there. Um, but, you know, who cares? Let's talk about COVID again. Um, let's go back to fetishizing the COVID. So, but that's not the case at all. So Jordan, what's the latest that you're, um, hearing about Afghanistan. I know that there are a lot of private efforts to rescue the much more than a couple hundred people that are still stuck in the city. Mm -hmm. So for whatever reason, the U.S. government decided to prioritize um, Afghan, unvetted Afghan migrants <laughs> ahead of American <laughs> citizens for um, bringing them back to the United States. And, and sadly, I think this is one of the reasons why that terror, that ISIS terrorist attack was so effective, was that we, our government created a giant magnet, a once in a lifetime opportunity. You know, the Kabul airport's closing and everyone's everyone that can get on a plane, you know, you're coming to America, you're getting benefits for life. And everyone within 10 miles of that airport was coming in. There was such a, a shit show. Um, you know, the, the pictures really uh, and videos really said enough for themselves. And sadly, there was a lot of Americans that were left behind that could not make it. If the Biden administration had prioritized bringing Americans home before any of the Afghans, this never would have been an issue. And it, it's a total mess. Now we have like you know, I, I flew into Dulles yesterday where there is reportedly like thousands of these Afghan migrants, none of whom speak English, none of whom have any like papers on them. So we have no idea who these people are. And, you know, with the anniversary of 9-11, which was a situation where you had these uh, visa overstays and similar unvetted individuals, it seems that we've just learned nothing about um, domestic security and national security. And now that there there's Americans that are um, apparently 
trying they're, they're trying to get out of the country the taliban seems to be holding some of them up letting some of them go I, my guess is that the go- they're waiting for the government to pay an enormous ransom which they'll certainly pay uh yes. you know there's no there's no good way out of this because for <laughs> you know th- there was like they they the biden administration ignored trump's agreed upon deal that we get out in may so the the generals kind of just blew it off Biden reads from the teleprompter like months later that, OK, we need to leave right now. So there's all like, this chaotic nonsense. Um, the, the whole situation was total mess, totally avoidable mess. Um, have you heard uh, or maybe you have sources or you maybe you can shed some light on this for us here at happy hour because we we can't figure out why the Biden military machine shut down the Bagram airport and preferred to evacuate out of the city of 5 million people. Um, do you know what what the reason for that was, what the thinking was? It just doesn't make any rhyme or reason. It just seems to be a, a, a bureaucratic incompetence issue, similar to why uh, we left so much behind, didn't have time. There, there was just no planning done. I mean, we, we could have easily just at least destroyed some of these vehicles that were going to end up in the Taliban's possession, or there could have been deals cut that we don't know about that allowed for the Taliban to have this stuff. Um, it, it just seems that there was there was no planning done. There was some policy action from the executive branch that the Pentagon had seemingly just been ignoring. Like they, when, when Trump tried to get out of Afghanistan, they totally blew him off and even undermined him for several years. And you know, the the generals that sadly, again, Trump's biggest issue his his staffing. Uh, these people, you know, Mark Milley was appointed by Trump and Dunford was appointed by Trump. And, and yeah. all these, you know, these DOD, um, the secretaries of defense who defied his order to leave Afghanistan. Um, so this situation has been a mess for some time. But when Biden pulled the plug, I guess the civil servants were more so not willing to commit to like you know some type of quasi coup attempt and ignoring their commander in chief again so they kind of just like went along with it and rushed everyone out um I, you know i'm a full proponent of entirely withdrawing from afghanistan so i think it was good that that we left but uh, you know just the the manner the, the mess in which we left and the fact that we imported over a hundred thousand afghans the vast majority of which are are totally unvetted that that's my biggest issue with the withdrawal. I did find it odd that we had over a hundred thousand translators. Um, you remember, because when this was <laughs> happening, we were told that we were getting out our translators and our allies, and then I find out that we actually were getting out. I don't know anyone. It, it's it's hard to imagine what it was like on the ground when you have Americans showing their passport and trying to get into the airport and they're like, no, you can't come. But then these other people that look shifty and have no papers were just allowed. Yeah, come on. Come on on in. And then later, after we the last day, I guess, where we we tricked them out and left a day early um, for whatever reason, then there were stories coming out that, in fact, we have left to translators and allies in Afghanistan and we had not helped take them out. And instead we had just brought in this hodgepodge of the next headline that we're going to get in at least a couple months 
starting in a couple months about, you know, some terrorist attacks from these people who are no doubt, um, you know, not here for a better way of life. You know, they're here to further the jihad cause. So, Julie, what about you? Um, Do you have any thoughts on this? Have you um, have you forgotten about Afghanistan since it doesn't matter anymore? Because it's being hidden from us <laughs> in the headlines. Exactly. I mean, you know, this really is all just about Bo Biden. And we need to remember him instead of the 13 uh, servicemen and women who were killed. Um, I thought it was very noteworthy that in the abrupt little speech that Biden finally gave, he didn't bother to mention anyone's name who had been killed, just more talking about his son who did not die in the line of duty, um, who sadly died of a brain tumor, but nonetheless had nothing to do with this. So I just think overall watching this government, watching this regime, watching this Justice Department, this uh, uh, Defense Department, the leaders of this regime, including Joe Biden, these are just sinister, soulless people They don't care about lives being destroyed. They don't care about the threat that they're creating, whether it's by bringing in 100,000 Afghan translators or God knows how many uh, people still pouring into the border, uh, the southern border. Um, They just don't care. And that, to me, their lack of humanity, their lack of compassion, I guess, except for the Afghan translators, but um, the risk that they are posing on so many levels their cruelty to our children, um, which I, I personally will never forgive, but they, there's just something really wrong with these people, whether it's Biden, it's Jen Psaki, who made this little smirk yesterday when she was talking about what uh, Biden's announcement was going to be about for vaccinated people, whether it's Mark Milley, Anthony Blinken, uh, these people just have no soul. They're, there's something really wrong with them. And that's why they should not be in power, but they are. And things are only going to get worse. They're not going to get better. And um, I think there's a lot of similarities between the handling of what's happening in Afghanistan and the total lack of regret for how we left there and what's going on with this pandemic. Uh, These people are gratified by seeing people suffer. Uh, And I think that that's it's just sick and twisted. Well, on that cheery um, note, that's uh, a typical ending for happy hour. Um, Wait, real quick much before dark. we go, real quick, what what does anybody think about what's going to happen in California next week with the recall? Speaking of sick, twisted people, Larry Elder got attacked by some lunatic throwing an egg at him, and then his people were wearing accosted. a gorilla mask, no less. Right, wearing a gorilla right. mask, which and I guess. I don't think Gavin Newsom has said anything about it. I, I don't know. I know Joe Biden hasn't, but what do you guys anticipate is going to happen? He He's not going to be recalled. Just he saying. Won't. Okay. No, I, that's my, based on my information from people who do polling in California, but you know, maybe he will and that'd be great, but I don't expect that to happen. Jordan, what, what about you? Yeah, I agree with Liz. I would be I would be shocked if because Gavin Newsom has has controlled the levers of power for so long that if he were recalled, it would be it would be a very shocking situation. 
I, I think that Larry Elder would be, you know, we know he's basically like one of us essentially. So he would, he would be a shockingly for California standards. I think he'd be a shockingly based candidate. Um, it would be cool, but I, I don't see it happening. I, I hope that all Californians get out, you know, and vote for recall. But uh, my personal prediction would be that, you know, he retains his good uh, Newsom retains his role. Hmm. Sucks. Oh, well, okay. well, that's even more depressing than what we <laughs> where we were at before we mentioned it. But thank you so much for joining us, Jordan, um, and giving us good updates on coronavirus the latest coronavirus michigas as my people say um and julie always always great to be back because we weren't here last week because it was like a holiday week that's how julie and i operate i mean yes labor day is just monday but for us we kind of do it for a week so we it was a holiday week for us so we did not have a show last week but now we're back and we're going to be back next week and if you don't want to miss us you can subscribe on iTunes, Happy Hour with Julie and Liz, and give us five stars. We have we have five stars for our review. Oh my like that. God, so, of course. If you're wondering if all our shows are as good as the one you just listened to, well, they are. Okay, they are. <laughs> so everybody have a great week, and we will see you next Friday. Thanks for listening to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. We'll see you next week. Bye.